I was part of this, the first group of young composer high school fellows with the Los Angeles Philharmonic. So I was like 15, 16. You were doing your DMA, right? I was doing my DMA at USC. Steve Stuckey called Don Crockett, who I think is still head of composition Mm -hmm. at USC. They had kind of assigned him a sort of a teaching, because I think he needed, he's like, I can't be there every week. I'll come every month or so, and I'll I'll kind of supervise. But boots on the ground kind of thing, we need somebody there. And I think they just basically assigned him, like, I think it was a film composer. I have no idea who it was. And he said, no, no, I need a... So he basically called Don Crockett. And I like happened to be in the right. I was like, and I answered my phone that day, and he was like, "How would you like to, like, work with Steve Stuckey?" And I was like, "Is this a prank?" I had just gotten there. I, it was like my first or second year there, and I just moved to Southern California. And I, I had worked. Worked is a strong word. I'd done a program at the LA Phil, and there was a collaboration, a one-time collaboration between the LA Phil and USC. Do you ever talk to you about this? Called Synergy. I don't know. It was about awesome. This. And they did it once. They took four conductors and four composers. They made an orchestra of USC and LA Phil players and premiered, or not premiered maybe, but they did four orchestral works where the conductors and the composers, it was like it was like a camp. It was like a week-long thing. And I wasn't one of, I was an auditor. They sort of picked me as an alternate. But they did four composers and four conductors. I think it was Steve Stuckey's brainchild. He graciously gave us all kind of one-on-one meetings. So he looked over some of my music. And he I, he might have remembered me from that time, which I think maybe sort of helped be like, oh, I know that name, and I know he's a... You know, I know he's a composer. So, so the four conductors were from USC? Like no, they were from all over the place. Yeah, one was, a guy, place. one was a guy I knew from, from Rice. Alistair Willis was, I think, from... His name, yeah, was I knew from Rice. The the composers were from all over the place as well. So the only thing that had anything to do with LA Phil and USC was that there were USC musicians and yep. there were LA Phil yep. musicians, and then Stucky was yeah, and Stucky was yeah, because he would have been the kind of the main wow. new music. I don't know about that. And like, we that had we cool. had like a session with Esapeka. Like he came into, we sat in what the basement of the university church and he gave us all a session and the LA Phil did a kind of a panel they're like how to get a commission i think it was like too expensive or something or i, or I think it was maybe too, too few people maybe maybe it was pretty it was pretty i was sort of like we were all like wow this is incredible that this is happening and i think it was maybe one of those things where it's like the amount of resources and energy yeah I mean, kind of, Composer Fellowship Program at, at LA Phil has had a similar, I think, kind of, when you look at when you were there, it was just four composers every two years. And now it's, I don't know what the numbers are, but I mean, it's, I just, it's, it's expanded. I you just gave know. a talk a yeah. couple of days ago at uh, the Beckman Center. That's where they do YOLA now, Youth Orchestra Los Angeles. That was the program that uh, Dudamel started yeah. when we first got there. And I gave a talk, and there was like 15 composers in there. Yeah, There's yeah. a lot of composers. Yeah. And I, you know, when we started it, it was just me and uh, three other composers, and we had no idea what we were getting into. And I don't even think even Steve knew what we were getting into, to be honest. Nobody knew. Nobody because, knew. Yeah. But it was magical. I mean, for me, it was like a kid in a candy store, you know, every single week that we met. Yeah. And uh, that's why I'm still composing today, because of that program. I remember uh, we were talking about problems and solutions. We talk about composing, right? Yeah. Like, uh, for us, I think for you as well, you, you think of composing as a set of problems that you have to solve yeah right so i remember we did this uh thing uh with uh, christian mcbride the bass player did we do it was it part of this the the uh, cfp was it it was part of cfp composer fellowship yeah. program there was a summer commission that we had to do right. it was it was ah, like right. four okay. of us writing 
response to the Rite of Spring. Do you remember this? Vaguely, yes. This is how it was oh, way I remember back so well. in yeah. the memory banks of this I remember it was like yes Because it was a summer thing, so it was a little nebulous. But it was like, hey, show up in August with yeah. like a piece. Yeah. For, for, no, it was very nebulous. Yeah, and yeah. it was for this jazz bass player. Yeah. And we weren't sure like exactly you know what is he gonna want to play because yeah. he plays a certain style yeah. you know and we had to notate yeah. stuff so it was him the jazz bass player yep. famous jazz bass player plus i think it was the sonus quartet string quartet this is sounding much more this is okay. now sounding starting to sound so we had to do oh this. grand festival it was something grand on festival. grand yeah it was something grand, something on grand grand festival festival on festival. Grand. yes yes okay. yeah Right. And it was at the Disney Hall. It was on the main stage, so it was a big deal for the four of us. Yeah, and yeah. we were supposed to write like a movement, right, of yeah, one yeah. big piece that had to do with the response to the Rise of Spring. <laughs> so I can't remember which movement I responded to, but I remember being. I never told you. I'm gonna tell you this. Okay. Now. We did the four movements, and there was a problem with the way my movement connected to the next movement. I don't okay. know if you remember this. Um, whoever, sorry, right. So whoever was like following you of, of the yeah, there the was four a big problem. You, right? okay. Everything else worked actually because okay. four different composers writing, yeah. this, writing the same piece, right? My movement came, and the next I can't remember who the next composer was after mine, but there was a problem for sure because we wanted the piece to be like one big movement. We didn't really want any breaks. We wanted yeah, yeah. to feel like it was one piece. Yeah. So I remember uh, you saying, because and I felt. Ownership. Oh, so what happened was I felt what owner, I, say? <laughs> I felt ownership yeah. of the transition. I said, yeah. oh, I want to be the one to solve the transition. Okay. It's my my movement. Okay. And I know what the first bars of the next movement yeah, are. Yeah. But then you told everybody, why doesn't everybody write a transition? And that pissed me off. <laughs> what? I was like a fifteen year old kid fuming. I was like, AJ thinks that I can't write the transition. And it was a it was a problem. Really it was like yeah. a problem yeah, yeah. that I that and it was my uh, thing to solve, right? So I, I took it. A problem I, I, that I gave you. That you apparently. gave. Right, right, right. <laughs> I was like very competitive. I didn't tell any, I didn't, none of the other guys know that yeah. I was thinking this, but uh, I was telling my parents, I said, you know, AJ thinks I can't do it, this and that. AJ this, really AJ funny. that. There's yeah. no way that I would have thought, I would have thought in those terms. I of was probably just not. speaking like off the Of okay, course right. not. It was, it, was just, it was all BS. It was all in my head. That's you know, so That's what funny. I'm telling you now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. It was so funny, you know, like 15 years on, that, that that's what, you know, thinking back in my little 15-year-old right. undeveloped brain, you know, that's that was, that was the... But the demands placed on the four of you, mm -hmm. I think about this with my own kids. It's like, if I was being asked to do some of this stuff at 15... You know, when I was like just nose picking my way through life, I just I don't know what I would have just crumpled or something. I mean, the, you, the four of you, especially because we didn't know, we didn't know what the program would look like. I think Steve had an idea. I think he talked to Deborah Howe about it. It's kind of how to sort of shape this and how to make it go forward. He was most likely used to dealing with, you know, Cornell grads and undergrads, and now we had this like quartet of, you know, high school students. And, you know, it was like, you guys had lives, you had like chores, you had like stuff to do. And we were like, hey, you know, we need those, we need those parts for the LA Phil. Well, and I think you, and I think that's the thing about it was, I think it would not have continued, by the way, if I can throw some back at you, that it would not have gone to a second session if you four hadn't like risen to the challenge every single time. You know what I mean? Like you basically... That if that had fallen flat, I don't know what would have happened. But the four of you like always met whatever challenge that we were throwing. Oh yeah, at we you. were very supportive of each other. Yeah, the whole thing, yeah. You know, and um, I remember when Steve Stuckey 
sat us down because it was the first time, right? So he sat us down. I think it was like January or something. I can't yeah, remember yeah. the month, but it I was. Can't remember that. It was. I like, thought it was the beginning of the year, but yeah. It was like a three month window. He said, yeah. in three months you're gonna have a piece played by the LA Phil. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like the LA. I mean, we've been having pieces played by you know string quartet. That's what yeah, he yeah, means, yeah. right? Yeah. No, the whole thing. Yeah. I'm like all of them. All of them. How many people are we talking? Like Eighty people. <laughs> Sixty. Where is people. it? Like at? Is it at like some high school? Yeah, no, they it's at Disney basketball. Hall. <laughs> we all looked at each other and said, "Holy yeah, yeah. shit!" You yeah. know. I still remember it to this day. Yeah. Him sitting the four of us down. He was like very serious yeah, yeah. about yeah. it. And I, I think he was nervous too. Yeah, yeah. About the whole thing. Yeah. But we we did it, and and the best part about it was we had all of our, of our high school friends. We're sitting in there because it was yes, the, it was a symphonies for schools kind of thing, right? So they had all like, these yeah. bus loads of kids yeah, yeah, coming yeah. in, yeah, and like the whole audience was yeah. kids like our age. So yeah. the people our age at that time were watching yeah. their peers have their yeah. pieces. You played. were rock stars, it and was crazy. that was at the time. I think that program has been kind of. I don't, you may know more than me. I feel like NY Phil has the New York Phil has tried to do something sim like similar sort of young composer. Yeah. initiatives have popped up. I don't the, think the composer, there were many. The composers there are even younger, yeah. like 10 years yeah, yeah. old, 9 years old, which I think is kind of ridiculous. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, our age was just barely. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. like we barely knew how to, you know, I, I didn't know any, any barely anything about music theory. I just took like AP music theory like a year before. Right. <laughs> you know, it's just yeah. kind of a joke. I, but I mean, we were all, I mean, I really appreciate that time because A, I was getting paid to like, you guys were all mega talented, are mega talented. And they were like, I'm like, I get paid to like look at this stuff and be like, great job, keep going. But to, to essentially to mentor with, with Steven for like two years, I basically got to sort of be like, I got to shadow Steve Stuckey for two years for teaching composition. It was like a masterclass of like, you know, how to like, how to manage not just in terms of assignments and things, but also his, his, his manner, his kind of, I don't know how you remember him. I just remember his being actually quite patient and quite sort of, he was never like this, it must be this. No, he, he was would, never like that. Do these things. I still think about this. I can't remember whose piece it was, but it was basically whatever piece it was, it was like firmly like tonal D flat major, like diatonic all the way through. Must have been Tim. He I always wrote. Been, he always yeah. Tim Colober. He always yeah. re- wrote in all flats. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it might have been. And, and Steve would do this thing where he'd be like, "What if it wasn't all in D flat major? <laughs> it's just like the littlest, like." The littlest. And you'd say, and you'd just everyone wow. sort of pause and everyone would go, "Huh? What if it wasn't all in D flat major?" And I was like, "That's just such a nice way of being like, instead of being like, no, it's all." You're being too timid or whatever, because no, nobody never, knew any he never parameters. Spoke like yeah. That. yeah, he was so he was just so good at kind of just like subtly directing you or just showing you something also, or just showing you like, hey, you know, I still use his the class you're going to talk to today. I still open up that class with the cryptogram thing. He didn't remember the cryptogram. Oh, with the letters. With so the, you, with, you the pick a word. You take this, it, yeah. That's so yeah. So he he the very first assignment that he gave you all, and I love the philosophy behind it too was. Pick a word, you know, use a system, and there are a couple that you can choose from, right? So Bach did this, right? B-A-C-H, B-A-C, and then, or B-flat, excuse me, A-C. H becomes B-natural, right? So that signature, Shostakovich, is the same thing. So it was just take the word and convert it, convert those letters into pitches. 
and then write a piece based on those pitches. And he'd just done a, he'd done a solo cello piece, Dialoghi, I think it's called, for Ellen Frey that, that had the same sort of system going on. Mm-hmm. I remember this well, yeah. And his philosophy was really interesting because his philosophy was, the, the sort of the meta lesson behind it was you can't wait for a good idea. That you have to, you, you got to get going. You got to put your composer chops to work. And if you don't have, you know, your da-da-da-da or whatever, you know, you, you've got to... You've got to generate it and then just let your kind of craft sort of take over. It was funny because when Jim sort of succeeded him, Jim's like, I disagree. I think you should wait for a good idea. And I was like, it's just a great tool to have just to know that you're, that you're there. Like if you don't, if you're really struggling and you need something and you need, you need something to just generate anything that you can then kind of, then kind of make sense of. No, absolutely. I remember that to this day, actually. Yeah. That was the first assignment. And yeah. uh, I think the piece I wrote was a solo clarinet piece based off my brother's name, Andrew. Okay. I think that's what I did. Yeah. yeah. So it was, a, I remember that assignment well. But this reminds <coughs> me a lot of, I want to get into your stuff, because you also have a piece for solo cello. It just is, is my, probably my most recent piece, technically, yeah, it's sort of finished. And it's also based, uh, we're talking about Bach, you're also, it's based on a Bach cello suite. Right, yes, it was, it was, it's like, it's like the classic, I was joking with this from another composer friend, the classic no pressure of uh, uh, a very good friend of mine, fantastic cellist, Erica Wise, has a recording project which is now coming out. She's got three, it'll be three albums in total, two of which have already come out. And it's, it's all six Bach cello suites. And she has commissioned or at least requested six pieces to kind of accompany them, which is again, it's like, oh, no pressure. You just have to follow, just to follow box, like what she calls like the Bible of like solo cello writing. But I hemmed and hawed about which piece I wanted to do. And I picked the sixth suite, the D major Mm -hmm. one, because it's just so, I don't know. I was just, it's so joyful is the only word I could come up with for so it. So let's hear a couple of minutes okay. of that. This is Implied Airs Over an Imaginary Drone. I love your titles. That's, <laughs> all your titles are like, let's hear it. Like a lot of my pieces, there's there's some kind of like quirky title that kind of gets me into. I can kind of you know I can spiel about it, right? Well, I mean the cello suite, the original one, it starts off kind of with the drone too. Yeah. I did a similar thing like this too, where I took yeah. a CPE Bach piece uh, for flute and piano, and then I kind of converted it in my own way to a solo flute piece. 
taking a lot of the Bach influence. So I'm wondering, because for me, I'm listening to the yeah. cello suite number six, and then I listen to this, and I'm wondering, I think I understand what's going on. It's kind of like you're taking everything, all the, the noise elements almost in the cello suite, yeah. and you're like kind of converting it to your own musical language. Is that right? Did I or? send you, I can't remember if I sent you, I think the program note is okay. in. The program note I ended up sort of writing up for this, I think is at the front of the score. Okay. And the, the, the recording I mentioned, because it really is, like those cello suites, I don't know if it's the same for you. For me, it was like my housemate at, at undergrad at Rice was a cellist and was like, you gotta, you gotta listen to these recordings. It was Peter Wispaway playing all six suites. And he, I think, even plays the sixth suite on an actual five-string cello. But I've listened to that recording for decades. And it's one of those recordings that's just like, it's just in my brain. I don't know how it's actually engineered, but it's very, very closely mic'd. Like, it's very, like, you can hear him breathing. You can hear the bow. You can hear the fingers. Like, and that's, that sixth suite is so, but it's so, like, visceral. It's you so based energetic. it on a specific recording, too. It wasn't, like, the composition I the thought there's no the way to compete with this dude. Like I was, I had that, I did have that first thought, oh, I'll, maybe I'll like, I'll, because there's so many it. open strings yeah. in that piece. I thought, well, maybe I'll kind of map it. And there is kind of that, but that idea was kind of abandoned. What was more interesting to me was this, for lack of a better term, this kind of meta piece, right? Where there's this, all this stuff floating around. And I, it's been kind of my... This kind of ties into some of the other more recent pieces where I'm really, the term I've used in my brain, which is not right, it, it, I, I think incidental music. Now, when you hear the term incidental music, you think of like music for a play or music that accompanies that. My dumb guy definition for this is like the music that happens when you're not, it's when other stuff is going on and your brain just kind of makes music oh, okay, out of it, okay. right? Yeah, so yeah. we live, we, so our house is like right here Here's the LA River, and then it's the five. And then by the time oh. the noise of the five gets to you, it's got this very like diffuse, like, so at certain hours, it's like, you know, it's like Ingram Marshall's fog tropes. It's like, oh, I love there's like, so all right. For the people watching the score, yeah. because you have these, you have very special instructions. And this excerpt, you have these black note heads, yeah. right? So what does that mean exactly? So it's funny because I just actually had this conversation with Patrick O'Malley, who had also looked at the score. And it's a solid diamond note head, instead of a instead of a full one. And it's I, I didn't I've I've seen other scores where this is a little ambiguous. And again, I'm probably reinventing the wheel. But the black diamond head for me was the was the was the what I call a hammer on in guitar. Like you just you pre you just hard press the string down to the, the neck of the instrument to tap the note basically. But you're not actually pitching it. So it's like it's basically. And I think again, she Erica does such an amazing job with like bringing all those sounds. So if I told her this, I think it's maybe the best realized of any of my pieces. I mean, she just poured everything that into that. Recording. And there was, it was recorded in this church in Portugal. It just sounds like it's... And I, I think I must have known, I think I knew how resonant it was going to be. And I really wanted sounds, you know, so there's a lot of like, you know, playing like a harmonic and then kind of just letting it kind of go into the space sort of thing. So like a pizzicato is like pulling the string. Yeah, so it's like basically... Yeah, so pitzing is so, so you you're 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 plucking, but like you know if you know what a left hand pitz is, right? So it's just like you're just basically pulling an open string, but this is including now like if you just tap on the on the if you just pull the string down, you're gonna get a sound, and so it works great in a solo context when there's nothing else to cover it up, and that's again a reflection. It's it's a reference to kind of the recording where it's like you hear all you hear the sounds of the playing of Bach 
right? And all of the work that's going in, you know, to, to produce these sounds. And that six suite to me has such a sheen over it anyway because of that D, da da da, or whatever. Because it just goes and just feels like everything is kind of ringing harmonically, overtonally from this D. I, I thought about that kind of like haze and sort of sheen of that. So it's like, yeah, this sort of, it's, it's as if, I think I wrote in the program about something like, it's as if all the sounds required to make, especially the prelude of the Bach, Sixth Suite and D major, like kind of drifted away and sort of formed a piece of their own, like then froze at some point and sort of became this other piece. So there's a lot of insubstantial sounds in that, especially at the opening, right, where it's just you kind of get the sound of, of you get that kind of triplet rhythm with no sort of corresponding pitches. And the idea being that then that kind of forms into something into something else. I've been kind of obsessed with this recently about like like the freeway thing, right? Like sounds kind of coming at you across the ether and your brain is sort of desperate to sort of make them into tunes, chord progressions, shapes, you know, like the, the, the pneumatic breaks on a bus or something like that, you know, when you hear that kind of squeal and your brain's like, I wonder if that's a, I wonder if I can make that into a chord, you know what I mean? Yeah. That kind of like where composer brain is just sort of running as you're kind of, you know, living your life kind but of But that's thing. the other thing too is that I feel like a lot of composers are in general, you know, we're, we are, we kind of have this baggage of the tradition, right? But there's also nothing wrong with, uh, of just thinking about things that are actually existing today and responding to that. But you did both of those things in that piece. You did, you, you, ha you have the knowledge yeah. of the Bach, you love, also, yeah. you, also it's important to note that you love yeah, yeah. that Bach, yeah. that specific recording, yeah. which is personal to you. Yeah, yeah. So that is an added thing on top of that. It has to be something you're personally responding to, not just, oh, Bach is a great composer, I should respond I, I, to him. I don't think I could have gotten into the piece Absolutely. without that. I yeah. think I had to have something where it was like, thinking about kind of, you know, when I'm asked to sort of reflect on this sort of stuff, so much for me of like my introduction into classical music was solitary. I didn't, I wasn't performing. I mean, I sang in a choir, but most of the stuff that I my kind of new music education was like me and a pair of headphones and kind of just that sort of a lot of pieces kind of sometimes go back to that feeling of like just the sort of intimacy of like me learning and recording or you know hitting a spot that I really liked and kind of rewinding it and playing mm -hmm. it again and rewinding it and playing no, it again. I, that's, I I'm dating myself now because there was an actual cassette that actually <laughs> got rewound. No, but it's funny too because you're you have this experience of being to yourself, and also this idea that I like the idea of the uh, the, the freeway and the Elliott River, yeah, etc. Yeah. But then you took that idea and you actually you took the music to those places in your piece for Street. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this is a piece I want to yes. play a couple okay. minutes of this before we start talking about it because uh, we also know uh, we have a mutual friend Clara Cam yes. who was also yes. on the show. Um, two, by the way, two two beings from the video that you're about to show and we're on and show. luna the and dog luna, yes the dog, i actually texted her about it but here <laughs> here's two minutes from our options have changed from 2022 another great title here we go
Clara plays this microtonal melody, and yeah. as soon as I heard it, I said, that's where the excerpt needs to start, because yeah, before yeah. that, it was kind of like this introduction in yeah. the bathroom. They were in the bathroom, and there's all this stuff going on, and there's like a sink in the background, and you know, this it, is it was, not to plug like right next to each other. It was this it was is not amazing. to shamelessly plug my own stuff, but you probably should watch the whole thing to know what Sada's talking about, because yes, it does start in a bathroom. Yes, as uh, yeah, as one does. <laughs> one does during the day, this. right? Exactly, exactly right. This is the day in the life. Yeah, this was super fun to put together. It was also logistically nuts. I mean, it was it was really it was a head trip to sort of to sort of try to get all this organized. And I mean, I, I owe a, a debt you know a debt of gratitude to Clara for kind of being open to the idea, but also really like pushing me at the time to to actually get something materially out there like to get something done because we could have sat there and, and brainstormed spaces for ages about what, what do you mean materially out there this i mean she's so funny she, she and she will she's teased me before because we've been having conversations for years and i've always had this fantasy of like having having these pieces that are in areas that you just wouldn't have a concert in. You just wouldn't, like, I, people can't get to or that you just normally wouldn't have an audience sitting down. And I just love that idea of, like, you're in this kind of sonic space that you never would be otherwise. I mean, there's a lot of these precedents for it, right? I mean, the, the fog tropes, the Ingram Marshall fog tropes that we mentioned, where you're really taking these kind of environmental sounds and you're sort of, you're treating them composerly, right? I've been kind of pitching this idea and i think <laughs> clara knows we lot of she's like can we like make something can we actually do something so we had been planning on doing a piece uh myself collaborating with argus and i remember i sat down on a zoom call argus drink argus drink credit thank you very much yeah this so this would have been like the fall of 21 ish round about then I, I was on a Zoom call with Clara and Marin, who's uh, um, the violist of, of um, Argus Quartet. And this conversation started very kind of almost traditionally. Like, it'd be great to have something where it had movements and that we could sort of take, you know, we could play it in these, we could excerpt it if we needed to. And it went from there. And I think this must be kind of pandemic brain thinking of like, or we could do something completely off off the beaten path and here's my idea and so Clara's like okay again again with the again with the playing outside thing but they were so game for it and they were so I spent the next I spent the kind of the spring of thinking okay how would I how would I write a piece for film that would exist in multiple locations and I we'd had all these kind of plans of like well what if I should I come out to New York you know because they're in New York and I'm in LA could I, should I do this? Should we hire this person? Should we get permits for this? And I think, and I remember, because I, I, I was working on, uh, uh, I was working on the piece at a residency in the spring and uh, beautifully timed. I got my first bout of COVID there when I was there, so it was great. So I was working on the cello piece, the solo cello piece, and this piece for Argus, this like double quartet piece for them over film. And when I sort of was, you know, kind of go, got over the worst of it, spent a demoralizing two days just emailing and calling around places in New York, being like, can we can we film in your, <laughs> your church or your inside. museum? Like inside, there's some like, how am I going to get this quartet into these spaces? And then I had a long conversation with Clara, which she was like, she's like, I really, she's like, I feel like we've got a window for this. Like both the quartet and you, like you're on sabbatical, you just had this thing. This is now, like we need to get something 
otherwise it's just going to be kind of conceptual and sort of live in the ether for ages. And live in the back burner. And it's just going to be this idea that I keep talking about <laughs> to her about. And she's like, I can't. I need you to, to actually put this into sort of tangible form. So I really, I mean, not just helping me kind of work out what the sounds would be, not just encouraging me like, yeah, this is not, this idea is doable. Like we can do this. And not only that, we should do it. Like you just make it happen. And if we can't get, and I was like, I don't want you to have to like break the law. Like I don't want you to get, but we just thought about, okay, okay, what are the locations we can access that would still make for an interesting narrative? So it became almost this kind of sort of, a little bit of that sort of like, you know, pandemic, like we're all in a tight space and the piece then kind of opens up. You start in the smallest possible space. And they were the ones who were like, you know, crammed into that bathroom. I think it was Giancarlo's bathroom there, right? And so starting from there, then moving to the stairwell, then moving to this underpass. And we'd look, I've been thinking, which is, played. yeah. So that's the, that's like some pedestrian underpass up in Fort Tryon, up in kind of north. Yeah, it's like, like the most the, upper part of Manhattan. It's near the Cloisters, I think. Yeah, I yeah. used to live near there, yeah. Okay, and then the, and then the sort of the, the climax, and then this is where it got logistically, for me, it took me almost a kind of a full extra year to then put this together in the video, thanks to, thanks to Lewis Ng, who was amazingly sort of, was able to read my mind and put this together. But there's a kind of a duet between two completely different locations. And one of the last bit is on this sort of subway mezzanine, metro mezzanine in Brooklyn, which is where the sort of the piece kind of, you know, it's the last. And then the very last bit is them all playing in the four locations, their kind of final chord all together. And they went and basically I like made the score as best I could being like, I hope this works. And then we add another two. Mm, and then there'll be there'll be a nice there'll be eleven C's coming up. <laughs> um, no, but they they I was like I planned it out as best I could, and then they just went to these locations over the course of two days, and just like with iPhones and, and Zoom recorders, and just right. kind of put it and just basically recorded everything. Well, it's the the piece. I mean, the first thing I thought of when I heard the piece or watched the piece yeah. rather is uh, the, the Stockhausen Helicopter Quartet. I mean, that, I mean, we're talking right. about tradition, right? right, right. right? Yeah, yeah, it still yeah. fall, you think that it, it doesn't follow tradition, or somebody right, that right, watches it right. that doesn't know much about uh, contemporary music yeah, yeah. could think, oh, wow, you're doing something so out of the blue, but no, yeah, I mean, yeah. it was kind of already done, right? Yeah, yeah. The Stockhausen. Yeah. If you haven't seen that, watch. There's a there's a there's a really famous. Did I video. didn't I say that to you? Didn't I? I? I used to say this to some composer fellowship classes that came through, and I still say it to some students today. I was like, you're gonna you're gonna feel pressure to be, like, write the newest thing that's ever been written. Of course. And I said, remember that somebody has already written a string quartet for helicopters, so you, you don't worry about pushing <laughs> the envelope. Like the envelope has been pushed. You're just do whatever you you know. Be authentic and be you. You right. don't have to. You know, nobody has to play your piece on Mars or something like that, you know. But this excerpt here with the microtonal melody, yeah. I mean, how does that fit into the rest of the piece? Because, like, if you look at the score, um, a lot of it is kind of all, not completely open. It's definitely very, uh, very well notated in terms of there, this part is here, yeah. this part is here. It's yeah. not that open, but there's yeah. a little bit of open. It's very Ludoswoski. It's very, it's, if you know the Ludoswoski string quartet, that's like, that was a model for me for mm -hmm. so long about how to sort of coordinate 
otherwise uncoordinated music, right? Aleatoric music. Or I play this for 10 seconds and then wait until you get the cue from that. And then a lot of that stuff was stitched together in editing. We had to sort of like, sort of tighten that up. But sorry, what was you, you were asking about the- Oh, the microtonal yeah, melody, the because before that, I mean, we didn't hear this in the extra, but before that it was kind of like a haze in the bathroom, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. It's kind of like harmonics that are kind of flying around. But yeah. then your first semblance of something you can really grab onto as a listener is that microtonal melody that Clara yeah. plays. Yeah. The violinist plays in the recording. Yeah. So I'm wondering, like, how does that, how did that emerge? Like, how did you come up with the idea to have a like a like a full-on tune in the middle of it? So it's funny piece? to say this as a composer who's supposed to sort of, I'm really feeling my way through this. I really feel like the last couple of years have been a kind of a weird experiment for me, and it's not always been successful. And I was just saying this to another. I was having like composer therapy sessions with my other composer friends where. I really kind of want to see how I, for lack of a better word, like what's my take on like spectralism or what, or mm -hmm. kind of like, cause I'm, you know, I, I, you know, my music from before, it's pretty much like, you know, the old notes and rhythms kind of thing. And just been getting more into those kind of more, you know, like the cello pieces, more sort of insubstantial sounds that are kind of atmospheric that you want to see if you can kind of, coalesce a little bit more and see how that meets with sort of more traditional notes and rhythms. So that piece, the music for that, for the for our absence of change, for me, and the way it was done, I feel like I, I want to keep going because I feel like I'm just scratching the surface of like how, okay, make these sounds in this space. And my feeling was the resonance of those environments comes back at you with some it reinforces some bit of information, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, the way the resonance of a certain room will emphasize certain frequencies. And so I'm kind of playing with that idea of like, what starts to come out of this haze is not necessarily, you know, equal temperament, for example. It's not, it's not you know, it's not gonna be this clean thing. And I almost, you know, I wanna kind of do another movement where it's maybe coming even a little more gradually. But I don't know if this, if, if, um, you, you sort of picked this up. What I also thought was that, you know, sort of playing with the idea of that each space has its own sounds. So that middle section where they're all playing in Fort Tryon, they're playing, like they're all tuned A440, and they're playing both kind of, you know, sort of regular notes, and they're also playing uh, microtones. They're also playing kind of, you know, quarter tones and et cetera. When it gets to the part where they're playing with the group that's in the Brooklyn train station, which is the section right after, right after they're... that group is all they're all tuned down a quarter step, a, a quarter tone, and then they and so so the, the microtonality of that middle section has now been split to two different. Right, groups. you introduce it as a yes. tune, then you bring it back harmonic. So then you start to hear one group is just entirely playing kind of a four forty, and the other group is playing just a little bit off. Right. So you have this kind of like seesaw. Yeah, a little bit like oh, there's there's just sort of you know almost like Doppler effect of these two things being sort of distant but still sort of trying to talk to each other. Yeah. And it's also a good. It's a good excuse to kind of have those big chords. It sort of ends with these kind of like, you know, I guess it's a 16-note chord technically because it's, you know, four sets of double stops in two locations with, you know, shifted a little it's bit. It's kind of manic. And then plus it's the, so manic. And plus with the acoustical space, it, right. even, it even makes it more yeah, yeah. kind of, I'm sure what you're listening to. Oh, it's so, it's, I, I was shocked when I heard how resonant that train station was. And then, of course, I left in, like, the arrival of the F train or whatever comes to it. <laughs> you know, so there's a lot of other 
kind of sounds that kind of leak into that. You know? Yeah. So, so, so I would encourage everybody to listen to the or watch the video because it's not that long either. It's, it's, it's six. Like it's six, six and a half minutes. minutes. So, like I thought so, it would be four and it ended up being six. So like, watch okay. the whole thing so you can get a get a sense of what we're talking about yeah. here. But I want to move on to uh, your piece for viola and piano because this piece came five years yeah, before, this is, this right? Is, this is an oldie. And this one, um, it's called another great title, Here Come the Waterworks. <laughs> I wish I could come. It takes me so long to come up with titles, and they're always just like one word, but these are nice little phrases. My curse is that I can come up with titles, and the piece itself takes like four times as long as it yeah. should, so that's my... But this piece here has a lot of that microtonal language yes. that we're talking about, so let's, let's hear the first couple of minutes of this. I really like this piece because the chord that you put in the beginning literally is my chord. I was going to say, <laughs> when I read your thing and I, I saw your video about the kind of the A with the split fifth, right? The sort yeah, of the half, yeah. yeah. You open the thing with D, yep. F half sharp, yep. A, yep. and I just, you know, that's my, that's my jam. That's, that's that chord I'm, I'm completely obsessed yeah. with. And you did such, you did, you did something so different with it than, than I did in, in my piece that we heard. Uh, my orchestra piece that we heard over the weekend. Yeah. And then um, another thing I liked a lot about this, sorry, I'm just going to blab on no, about this I because did. I really love this piece, is that... I guess I'll just sit here just while you here talk while, me, while I, I talk about the piece that you wrote, but it, cool. it, it moves from uh, this D sound, D, yeah. F, half, sharp, A, yeah. Yeah. right, to, to G, right? So you yeah. do this kind of like, you know, very traditional thing where you're going mm -hmm. from one to four. Yeah. So you go to G, B, half flat, yep. D, 
It's splitting all the open strings of the viola, right? right? So there, and in fact, at some point, I think, and even uh, there, I split the C and the G as well. Mm -hmm. So there is a kind of a, I mean, that was just me trying to be like organized compositionally of thinking there is a kind of sort of chord that you can play all the open strings, the C, G, D, A of the viola, and they all have that kind of split sort of third going up. So they always have that kind of sound, you know, of, 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 yeah, it's funny because I was thinking somebody asked me, you know, oh, do you do you have a system? Do you subscribe to this? I was like, I just I, I need this stuff just needs to sound interesting to me. Mm. I sometimes don't know exactly what's going on. And another I have to, again, credit the performer. So that's Jonah Sirota playing. And I think I have a memory of like almost torturing poor Jonah because we, he played it through, and he's he, again so committed to that performance. But I was going in at like the like a week from the premiere, being like, "Can you can you lower that like just like ten cents or something like that?" And he's like, "So it's written out as just straight, you know, quarter sharps and quarter flats." But I like worked with him on like, "Oh no, that I want no, okay, yeah, right there. That's the I want that one right there because I wanted that kind of color." And I think I wrote, there's a, a kind of a somewhat, you know, vaguely programmatic thing about like, there's a kind of a keening kind of, you know, there's a little bit of that sort of going on. There's a little bit of kind of, you know, viola's working through something. And there's that kind of, that's where the microtones to me, at least, because I did, I think I self-consciously, I don't think I feel this way now, but I think I self-consciously at the time felt like, oh, I got to justify my microtones in some way. I just I thought they sounded cool, and I really wanted to sort of play with that sound, and it ended up kind of having a little bit of a sort of a, a, a kind of an emotional, let's say, narrative throughout, which is what I wanted to do. I well, that's why I like the way you use microtones. I actually never heard. Um, I don't know if that's true, but I remember at least you know your your kind of phase before this. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you really used microtones that much, and except if they were like natural harmonics that were up. Uh, yeah, I thought about there was a piece I did as, as a grad student that had microtones in it because I was again I was obsessed with the Ligeti string quartet, and that's the first that I think that's the first real encounter I had with microtones, and he uses it in a very kind of almost that like almost vocal expressive way that I really yeah, and also the yeah. Ligeti viola sonata too, exactly yes that exactly, was like my exactly, first yeah. yeah my first introduction to how they how to do it in a melodic way yeah. in the Western he's context. He's so specific about where he wants things. It's so, I mean, he really has an idea of like how it's supposed so, to. So when you're doing these, because you mark quarter tones, right? Yeah. So this, technically speaking, a quarter tone, it would be, you know, if, if, if you're going from C to C half sharp, right? Mm -hmm. That's 100 cents. You go from C uh, to C half sharp, that's 50 So C cents. to C sharp is 100 cents, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah, thank you. And okay. then C <laughs> to C half sharp is 50 cents. Right. Right? So... If you're telling me that you were telling the violas to adjust by 10 cents, <laughs> or, or, they're not really quarter tones. I right? wouldn't say, t I wouldn't, hopefully, I mean, God, he can correct me, but I hopefully didn't give him sense because I wasn't, I, but I really, I was like, well, just like bring it down just like a little bit. Yeah. But he got it, like the thing is like he, he nailed it. Like he, yeah. he. But your ear also is adjusted to what you want to hear. It's not just yeah. like randomly I want to hear exactly. the pitch in between. Yeah. I, there's like a certain flavor yeah. of that pitch. Yeah. That it's changes. got it's yeah it's got it's got a kind of ring in a certain way and especially it's it's also harmonic right because it's not long after he plays that open fifth mm -hmm. the piano comes in and immediately you've got a, another reference point you've got a harmony against which that that quarter tone is now kind of like ooh there's like a color in there mm -hmm. and again that was very much like I want these particular sounds these particular clusters you know where it's like it's a major second but it's like a little lower it's a major second but it's like a little higher and you just get that 
really cool buzz, you know. No, I like. I don't I, know why I'm talking. Like you're like the master of quarter tones now. Like especially with this new piece, I'm like, hey, so have you heard about these quarter tones? They're great. No, but this, <laughs> this I like this conversation yeah. because it 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 reinforces some of the things that I'm thinking about today. Yeah. Because I, I, I hear so much music where the the microtones are treated in such a way where it's like it's it's more of like a continuation of, of dissonance, hmm. right? Like you have yeah. the consonance dissonance spectrum, right? Right. And to me, like the you know or the major the Pure third is like the sure. most perfect, right? But then on the other side, they would say, okay, the most dissonant would be like, I don't know, like a C against a C half sharp or something like that. But I prescribe to this notion yeah. where you're using the microtones in such a way where you're actually creating a new consonance, right? yeah, uh, exactly. like a consonance that yeah. has nothing to do with how we view it in, in the Western context yeah. from Monteverdi and whoever back in that time. So totally. I, I like, yeah. and you do both things. You don't just do the you know the the split third yeah the d a f half yeah. sharp later on i uh, think in the i think also in the excerpt that we heard you do you do the whole thing where you know you're you're going you're kind of sliding it's down a, it's a written out glissando essentially yeah. it just kind but of it's not a that. glissando you're right like, you're literally saying i want this yeah. to be here the next note is just a little bit under but don't slide yeah you know yeah and the omission of the the slide the glissando yeah. It's an adjustment to your ear because yeah. you're used to the slide and you hear the slide in Wagner and Mahler and yep. all these like big portamenti that we're right. used to hearing. But when you omit the slide, you know, you're putting the, these microtones in a completely different melodic context. They, yeah. they are the, they are the notes. Yeah. Can I officially, can I, can I, can I share this, this, this mug on to your viewers? All right. <laughs> so this is my favorite mug. Puffin. Puffin. Nothing. <laughs> it's a dad joke in in mug form. Well, you are dead. I'm. This is right in my wheelhouse. This is, this is where I'm at. When you're choosing which notes yeah. to actually play without yeah. doing the glissando, yeah. you're putting you're putting the listener and the and the musician in a different reference point completely. Yeah, yeah the the harmony is important to me. I guess I would say right. It's not just the effect of the slide, for example. It really is the it's the harmony that's 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 um that that I I, I care about that I want to sort of. I want to hear this. For me, I think the hardest thing about this, and I, I again, I feel like every piece, like you were talking about at the very beginning, you know, you're solving problems. I mean, for me, it's really, it's a way to really challenge myself because it's really. I mean, I find I find microtones intriguing. I I maybe don't have. I'm a little bit lazy about <laughs> wanting to like. I don't want to spend time researching something when I could just be writing something and making it and just kind of figuring out sort of how I feel about it. But the pacing for me, I don't know how it is for you, but the pacing for me of, you know, understanding that for a listener this is a new world, maybe possibly, or so certainly maybe an unfamiliar world, and bringing them into that space with just the right timing, you know what I mean? So I think there's, the, I think that affects maybe the opening of the viola piece, for example. I mean, it takes a while to sort of kind of like, you know, is everyone, like, are we okay? You got this? Everyone sort of get where we are so there's a quite a slow unfold to that reveal of that note right and then i think it starts to sort of pick up the pace a little bit but there is a little bit of like there's a timing thing that i always sort of i i i think about a lot it's challenging for me to sort of pace these things the timing is is is, is really all it is yeah right, right. <laughs> and you all composing is time management <laughs> yeah i mean when you start in d also you're you're around this pitch center yeah but you don't really change the pitch center pitch center I'm like speaking <laughs> italian or something 
Uh, you were learning Italian, right? You've been learning Italian. I know a little bit now, yeah. <laughs> but by the end of it, we go to G, which I really yeah, yeah. appreciate yeah. because it helps the listener along because to kind of ignore yeah. everything that a listener knows, right, I, I don't think is terribly helpful either. I mean, that does bring in the whole question of, you know, the other thing I think about, you know, with, with especially because teaching is so much on my mind. It's like, mm-hmm. right, how to sort of coach, you know, young composers through this and, and this constant struggle of, what your wants and needs are as an expressive person versus who you are writing for in the kind of the big in the big scheme of things and and my whole thing is always like look if you write the stuff that you're interested in and in, in, in the questions you're really interested in exploring and you approach it in a genuine way then somebody's going to pick up on it you know i mean my i mean i think that's again that's just sort of you know sort of feeds my process a little bit in terms of i just i just i just want it's fine i, I have <laughs> students here who I'm throwing all this stuff at them, and they're, you know, a lot of them are coming from that kind of media composer sort of film scoring world, and they say things like, I just, I just want to write my pretty songs. I just want to write my... And I will go on some other spiel about broadening your mind. And then I go home, and I'm like, I just want to write my pretty sound. <laughs> like, it's the same way. I just want to write the stuff that I want to hear. And I think we probably, I'm, I'm sure that you, I'm, I'd be curious to hear more from you about, you know, the stuff that you're writing is is really sort of filling a need. Like you want to hear this stuff, and you haven't quite heard it in the way that you're putting it together. You know, I haven't quite heard it the way that you put it together. You know what I mean? It's really exciting to hear that stuff and say, I, I'm still working on like this is how I this this hits the spot. Like this is really what sort of moves me. And you're kind of constantly looking for that. I'm hoping that other people are kind of going along for the ride too. You know? I mean, you have to do what you think you love, yeah. right? I mean, it's not, I think you used the word interest. I don't even think that's enough. You have to really love the, what you're trying to achieve or the prospect of trying to achieve it, at least. Maybe maybe by the end you don't love what you did, but at least the, the prospect of getting to that spot is really important, I think. And the what you said earlier about the block recording, I yeah. mean, that, hit, that really hit home for yeah. me because that's how I feel. Like, I want to achieve yeah. that feeling. Yeah. You know, how do I do it for myself? And then once I figured it out for myself, I think about it more broadly in the context of an audience, especially if it's a freaking right. orchestra. Oh, right, audience, exactly. Which, yeah, yeah, exactly. You can't, you, you, know, you yeah. can't please everyone. If there's three thousand people in the in the audience, and they're coming to hear Sibelius and Tchaikovsky, they're not gonna, yeah. they're not gonna like every, you know, they're yeah. not. You can't expect them to like everything you do, but uh, or or even give you the, the the light of day. You know, they might be thinking about something else, just waiting around, or you know, maybe they're late by five minutes. I mean, you got to think about all these things. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, I think what you said about like having a profound like interest, love, whatever you want to call it, I think that's the seed of it. And then everything else, you know, just takes time. I mean, it, you know, it's taken me. What is this? Who's calling me now? <laughs> Who's calling me now? Oh, it's Clara. <laughs> Let's see. Oh what my Clara... God, that's so funny. I texted her actually. Let me see. <laughs> Let me see what Clara has to say. Okay, Clara Kim, who we've been talking about. She almost died when she saw it the first time. <laughs> oh, the oh, when Luna was in there, the, yeah, yeah, with the dog. Yeah, we had a we had a very funny emoji-filled text exchange when she saw Luna in the video. It was very funny. Yeah, it makes. Yeah. I think it's. I think I'm trying to capture, you know, dog TikTok, and you know, and I'm trying to. I'm trying to also, you know, new music, almost but also there. like, yeah, right. there. more cats and more dogs in my videos. Yeah. The only thing I think to what you just said, like I agree. The only like counter argument to that and this is again me probably being like teacher brained about the whole thing because again i'm i'm you know I'm mostly talking to students to students who for whom this the whole concept of new music is, is such a is such a new unexplored world is that 
you know, that idea of interest or, or sort of the, the discomfort. And I think even somebody, I remember I watched a video of somebody else that you talked to who was talking about like that John Cleese interview, talking about like discomfort oh, yes. in the face of creativity. Yeah, that was David Bennett Thomas. Yeah, which yeah. is where I'm, I'm and I, that's kind of the headspace I'm in now because I am trying to, I'm, I'm trying to be empathetic to my students for whom this is an uncomfortable experience. There's no other way to put it. But that that doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. That there's going to be that 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 there's going to be that unfamiliarity. That there's going to be that sort of feeling of being lost, and that that in itself is okay. That's an okay creative space to be. And I think for me, like yeah, those touchstones of what what you love and what you're interested in. I'm I think really interested in whether I'm successful or not. Who the hell knows? I'm really interested in kind of maybe capturing a certain emotional arc you know without trying to necessarily be manipulative or without sort of like you've got to feel this way about it but just saying you know this is emotional for me this is this is really a kind of a this is really kind of an expressive outlet for me and then if that can be joined with you know something that really does kind of keep me on my toes in terms of the material right Mm -hmm. in terms of like because that's the thing about like you know solving problems and interests it's like I think for me this sort of transition to maybe like less pitched or sort of microtones or more ethereal or more kind of you know spectral noise based stuff is that there was a point where I was sitting down at the piano it was like the same GD intervals were coming in. I was like I've written this riff before like I've played this before I can't it just feels like I know how this plays out and I need to deliberately kind of make it more difficult for myself to get to I have to so I you have made to a be. problem for yourself I made, in a way. yeah right right <laughs> Which I think is the theme of this. Right, no, exactly. It's this, like, uh, you know, show here. Yeah, it's like, oh, I'm not being neurotic enough about my composing. Let's make it even more difficult. But I do just like that idea of like trying to make sense of something in which you have don't have control over. Like this music is coming to you from some other place without sounding too like, oh, the spirits are moving. But like, you know what I mean? Like literally from the, like it's coming from some other place and it's my job to kind of, you know, sort of shape it a little bit into something that kind of, really rings with me like really feels like yeah this is like i can say something with this you know i can't really follow any of that so <laughs> we're gonna end it right now so thanks for coming on well thanks for having me at your school and uh yeah until next time